Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. column, column. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault, and oftentimes much more frequently than that. Uh, on the media and the news cycle, occasionally ourselves, because we are sometimes all of those people and occasionally none of those people. We are That's every right. woman. It's all in us. <laughs> and I'm Camille Foster. I do various things at a place called Freethink. I'm delighted to be here. I am joined by Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine. He's someplace in Chinatown. Michael Moynihan, who does something, Advice News. Like, genuinely, he does something. Like, occasionally, you'll see his thing, and he's made a thing, and it's great. He's someplace... North of the city. Not north of the city. Uh, no, and no. here we are. It's not north of the city. No, it's oh, not north right. of the city. It's but the, that's fine. It's the, let, it's the we can, thing. Yes, it, it's, we shouldn't tell them exactly no, where you are because exactly. they'll come looking for you. Let's just say it's north. Or wanted man. <laughs> wanted man for your participation yeah. in the Capitol riots. I am riots. in Buffalo again yeah. at my yeah. at my winter cottage. <laughs> which which building of the uh, of the Capitol were you actually invading? Because it wasn't the, prop, <laughs> the Capitol building proper. No, right? I was you the were, one person in the cannon building. Uh, that, oh, uh, it's people, the yeah. building. That yeah. people were so scared you were of. the one. Yeah, <laughs> you were Everyone the one. was locking themselves in because I was just like, "Hello, where, <laughs> where am I?" And I was just, "Where's yeah. the bathroom? Yeah, I, have to go I to also bathroom. need to use the potty. <laughs> <laughs> There's a woman screaming in there. <laughs> what is trying so to overturn an election, but I've got to go. <laughs> I mean, these are two different things." Yeah. I want my organic. <laughs> I only eat organic food when I'm in prisons. Oh, yeah. oh, oh he he uh, requested, he had a new request today. Did you see that? The QAnon oh, show? No. Yeah, he was no. like, what was his request today? More organic stuff. He's like, I'm dying in here because I don't, I don't have yeah, like, yeah. you know, almond butter or something. There was some crazy thing. <laughs> and they initially kind of acceded to his demands, which is like white privilege, uh, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And they, um, actually it was like vegan privilege. And uh, I think he was like, he got a little, uh, got a little uppity then. He was like, I need some more of this stuff. I need some more do, of the good food. I do think I can't help but find it a little bit amusing to see a lot of these headlines that I know are supposed to be, oh my God, can you believe this? Yeah. The judge is acceding to his demands because he has dietary requirements. Yeah. Isn't, aren't we supposed to give these people bread and water? Why do we feed them at all? <laughs> it's, are you kidding? A moment ago, everybody was cool with prison reform. Now we yeah. want that shit to be as exactly. hard as possible. Exactly. What, why do we give them beds? They're wearing clothes in prison? This is unacceptable. <laughs> tell you what, when... These people are accused of grave crimes. Have they been convicted? No, but we want to make it really hard for them. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe that some of them have actually been given bail? I want, this is crazy. I want to make sure that people complain the next time a Muslim prisoner is given a uh, halal diet. They're like, I can't yeah. believe it. They're, you know, I don't want to hear anything about Ramadan. Yeah. You stay yeah. there and you you're gonna shut get, up. You're going to get ramen noodles, motherfucker. That's what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> That's so when good. does Joe Biden appoint uh, Joe Arpaio to oh, uh, yeah. bring the uh, pink yeah. uh, prison pajamas back? Oh, what yeah. was the, why For did the, you uh, think that that was such a bad thing? Like the pink Because he didn't know. So he didn't know that Killer Cam had made pink hot. He yeah. didn't know. You don't, yeah. you don't expect Joe Arpaio to be up on what's happening. What's I real, just realized what that that was homophobic. Doing. I didn't realize yeah, that is. before. He was, like, he, was tr- he was literally like, this is a gay color. And I'm going to make yeah. you all look gay. That was what he was doing, right? Oh, my God. I never thought about it. 
and it's not pink. It's, Which it's then, salmon. Salmon yeah, exactly. is, is a very is a very it fetching then color. It sets men. up. Uh, it sets up uh, Paddington too, and uh, Hugh Grant's star turn with the pink uh, pajamas in the prison. Wait, Paddington you know Bear too? The movie? Did you? Oh my God! Oh, I saw the first. You people, one. I didn't see the second one. The first, the first one is great, and then the second one is maybe greater. With, like they're both super good movies. Hugh Grant is the bumbling. is the conniving criminal in the second one and does the best uh pink uh pajama song and dance huh. from a prison hmm. in the uh, closing credits of a children's movie that you're allowed <laughs> you're bound to see anytime I soon. I literally we have no idea you what you're talking about. Yeah. Pop culture references. <laughs> and there you go, ladies and gentlemen. We are nothing. Super not obscure. It's like not the number honest. one movie in Christendom. Uh, was it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Was for, it for like eight oh eight God. years or something? It was like oh it had it had God. a pretty long. It had like a it, no. It, it was just a little brief one. It was like GameStop. It went up like and everyone was like talking about it. Then it just mm-hmm. disappeared. So, oh did you sell God. your GameStop uh, uh, stock, Camille? I didn't buy any GameStop stock. I'm yeah. not involved in any of your pump and dump shenanigans. <laughs> I leave that to you, your Wall Street bros. Yeah, it, that's what you guys do. I defrauding defrauding. God fearing yeah. American, red blooded American hedge funds. Someone's got to lose billionaires yeah, yeah. of their money. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, was, those guys will have one less Lambo because of you. Dude, I scumbag. was in my neighborhood today and I saw three guys in separate Land Rovers crying. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I did that. That was me. And I was so proud. It was a proud moment. Um, but I was, we were talking about this before we started, but there was, I, like, I literally witnessed a legit pump and dump today, but it was crypto and, uh-huh. you know, a different, more to sort of more va- vague regulatory regime that was uh, like sprung and coordinated on Telegram. And I was like, this is BS. I don't believe this. It's going to be some altcoin, some shitcoin that they're going to pump. And they give it time. They like go out in social media. Here's the, the, the crypto exchange you're supposed to use, et cetera. And I was like, I'm not going to put a nickel into this because I think it's phony. There's some, something weird here. Uh, the coin went from like 60, 65 cents to $1.35 in like, you know, um, I don't know, 20 minutes or something. So there's like pump and dumps. They're just like people are, and they're going to do another one soon and that's just going to be how people are going to make money on crypto now it's just like pumping and dumping like shit coins so there you go and yeah, not that you endorse this i sort do of not or endorse in this it. i did not participate in it today i probably will the next time <laughs> just, <laughs> well it's journalistic i mean it's a great thing about right, a right, journalist is right. you can always say like you break yeah. into the capital and you're like you see all those guys like they do it in portland yeah. too they put journalists on their shirts because you, you get like you make up these rules that don't actually exist, but you know, I don't have to hand over documents to you because I'm a journalist. I can be into this building because I'm a journalist, et cetera. So this is it's a journalistic experiment. So the one time that I bought a hundred dollars worth of crack, I did it uh, uh, for journalistic. <laughs> did you buy a hundred dollars worth of crack? A, a, what, what year? About nineteen eighty. Shit, that's a lot of yeah. in probably that's a lot of 87, crack. 88. Yeah. Yeah. Did, yeah. Matt, did um, you did you use this crack journalistically? No. 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 Um no, no but I, I spent a, uh I spent twenty four <laughs> <laughs> I watched is, it while they were like I mean Oh, you watched someone else do it. Oh god, look the, at Yeah, you. and like 
it like in uh, Isla Vista, California, too, right? So, and it was in the summer. So, like, that's like the student pot. It's a student ghetto, right, next to uh, UC Santa Barbara. And in the summer is when the population leaves, and the only people who stay are super derelicts, like me and, and other people. But there's sort of these the people who come in, and uh, and it was a uh, an apartment just a couple down from me, um, and like. Was with like a crack dealer and a bunch, a couple other dudes, and one and like wild eyes, and the guy who clearly lived there was like, I had his hand on a revolver, a pearl handled revolver, like looking at the door, and just obviously was not having <laughs> a novel. A good, this didn't happen. No, this all, this all abs- yeah. absolutely, absolutely okay, happened. Okay, Janet Cook. <laughs> they uh, they you drove me to my ATM. To, uh, <laughs> yeah. As you're, uh, no, as, it, uh, as you're telling this story, my... I can only yeah. hear like the, the the score to Real Compton City G's. Oh, yeah. I suppose the instrumentals mm. to it, mm. which when and you know what that is, Matt. You have no idea what I'm talking about. It's too it's early. Easy E, yeah. easy E song. Matt, Matt thought it was well, Matt thought it was the DOC. He's like, it's, yeah, I thought you know. the DOC would have been a DOC good. song, right? Yeah, no, no. Back then, it would have been uh, Prince's Black <laughs> album. That's uh, yeah, um, yeah. What's happening in the world, Camille? Did anything happen well, in the past? I, there's something with some country music star who's apparently been completely canceled. Totally canceled. It's, it's not even for using a naughty word. Yeah. From what I can Racial tell, slur. from what I can tell, he used a naughty word that we we won't utter here because it just is terrible. Um, it, it's just it's unconscionable, and I don't want to get in trouble. Uh, um, but he used a naughty word, a word that would sometimes, when being used, be directed at a person who is perhaps black mm-hmm. and be used to denigrate them. In this particular instance, it's not obvious that that is the case. No. It seemed like maybe he was drunk and screwing around with friends. Maybe. And yelling profane things <laughs> at his friends. Did you watch friends. the video? <laughs> Dude, I can tell. No, this, no. Th- this video was shot from like six miles away and I could tell he was drunk. He was like <laughs> slurring and stumbling into his apartment or his house. So it, so the words were not directional. It was just like the same way that Camille or Kennedy, if something goes wrong in soundcheck, will just like say a lot of things it, that should never be on television. To me, <laughs> it seemed to me that he was he was like TMZ was like, oh, he he was like, um, you know, advising his like crew to accost somebody. But it seemed to me that he was like jokingly, drunkenly saying to his friend, you're a a pussy ass i'm just gonna this i'm quoting people close your kids ears i apologize <laughs> to our advertisers i apologize hide your, kids, hide your wives it's hide your kids hide your wives they're raving everybody up in here um, that, um, that he said that you're a pussy ass and then the word yeah that ruins careers and lives and his record label dropped him Every country music station, CMT, the country music uh, television channel, dropped him. Mm-hmm. Serious, serious drop. They're not. They're not playing his songs anymore. Um, he's. Been, I mean, it's it the is commissar vanishes. Yeah. Well, finally, he's a much, finally white supremacy he's the has been best defeated. Selling, this is what you he's do. He's the best-selling country artist in the country, like way more than the Dixie. Is that true? Back in two. I never really? heard of the dude. Is yeah, that yeah. true? Me neither. Me neither. No, I was just reading. Like a, that's know, incredible. Becoming an expert. This, again, yeah, yeah. this this is completely performative. This does absolutely nothing in service of improving the lives of black people across America. Mm-hmm. Not a single sure? child. 
Not Hold a on. single child will we have be just will, reinf- will have their their employment prospects improved because their schools just got better. Not mm-hmm. not a single person's <laughs> bank account will be increased. In fact, I think I think um, structural racism just got worse. Yeah. Systemic racism just got worse. There is going to be a greater deficit in like the wealth disparity between blacks and whites as a result of this completely theatrical episode i mean hold on total nonsense hold on camille like what is it not better uh on balance that drunk a-holes uh would be more shy about dropping loud end bombs in the well, middle of just wherever. to be clear, drunk a-holes aren't really shy about much no i mean <laughs> well no. I, and again but they, it's but not they could be made shy about anyone. this, is, this that? is stupid matt last night this, you this were drunk. protecting the virgin the ears same day we know that a young rapper yeah. like has been accused of and he's not accused he, he there are charges pending he against his him cousin. for having murdered his cousin. <laughs> Whatever. What and, about and ism? The, and the PR this guy note, said a mean the PR word. note from his record label says, hey, stand hang, by. Hang in there, Brett. He's been having a tough time. It was in the hang reason in Camille knows this, He hasn't this, been by dropped by a single label. His music will be played on, on YouTube it, today, on the radio tomorrow. It was literally. By the way, dude's, dude's, name, dude's name is Morgan Wallen. Dr. We didn't Dre, mention that Dr. name. Dr. Dre is a super and, billionaire. Dr. Dre has like fired a gun right next to a woman woman's head because he is a vicious misogynist he beat up d barnes and Apple did a deal with him but it made him a billionaire so here's the Are thing the, okay. the reason that camille brings it's that up silly. and it's not I, I, the what about is um, here the, the context is important because it was the next story on tmz <laughs> tmz that actually reported so the next story was like Literally. this rapper it's right has killed it his TMZ. cousin and the previous one was about this country singer and whose management dropped him and his agent dropped him and this one was about a rapper who killed his cousin and his management was like, hang in there, buddy. We're here. We're, yeah. we, we're behind I'm, you. I'm not even saying the guy shouldn't be canceled. All I'm saying <laughs> is that it actually helps no one. It, it serves. No, it doesn't do you, serve the public Do you not interest. think, is it possible that the public interest is served? Maybe this, the punishment is way too strong, but that, that there's a greater taboo placed on run around outside your house next to other people's houses where there might be impressionable young ears listening um, and just screaming the N-word. Like maybe that's a public sanction that I, is I worthwhile. If, if I thought no. that there would be fewer instances of people actually running around outside at night drunk screaming any words, <laughs> yeah. I would I would support your theory. I think that is highly unlikely. In fact, yeah. I'm confident it is a scientific certainty. I, I believe I've shared before that if you were to go to iTunes and you were to listen to some of my favorite music, the, the most raunchy, horrible rap music filled with all sorts of misogynistic lyrics, murders and thefts and crime and all sorts of other craziness, you can look at the lyrics generated by AI imaginably that will tell you every single word that they have said. Every despicable utterance, every piece of fantastic, inspiring smut is there for you to see. The only thing that can't be rendered by these algorithms is the word nigger. And it is insane. You can hear it, but they can't write it. This hypersensitivity is completely performative and serves no one's interest and is indicative of just how unserious this entire campaign of social justice is 
Happy Black History Month. Here well, we well, I think that, that there's one thing that I can't tell. So I can't make okay. this comment. I don't know if this comment is true. And because make of exactly what you just said, Camille, I cannot hear it. It was bleeped out in the video that TMZ released. And I don't know if the guy was trying to, like, you know, sound like he was, like, super hip-hop dude. And he was like, you bitch ass blank right and he's like he's a white guy saying that so that's that's weird right but contextually it actually matters in some way because if you're saying it because you're repeating things that rappers say because you think it sounds tough versus saying cool. something with a hard er because you want to like hate somebody and call them the worst name in the book i think those things are different and it used to be by the way that that there was an argument consistently that they were different and that's now been erased because we don't care about that stuff. Um, that, you know, the hard ER versus the A that are, are very, very different things. And this is, of course, when black people are saying it, it's different than when white people are saying it. Well, it is, but it's also in a lot of song lyrics that white kids listen to. So when they're driving around in the car by themselves, I guarantee you they're not stopping themselves from singing these lyrics when they're 17 years old. So it falls out of the mouths of a lot of people every day. And that's and that's not something, you know, it's not like, you know, African-Americans in Paris. That's not a song. Right. <laughs> so it's ninjas, ninjas, it's ninjas, in it's Paris. ninjas in Paris. So but this actually allows us contextually to transition to something else is that I don't also know about mm. this guy from The New York Times who was accused of saying something racist um, an older guy who I had same, just heard. Same word, apparently. Same word, apparently. Things. We don't know, but um, I just heard. Well, no, him. we do know that he did say the same, the same word. Yeah, but we don't. Well, we don't. Yeah, so we don't know the context though. And that's right. It was he was on the Daily uh, just the other day, and he was very good. He was talking about um, COVID, and he's their science correspondent. The guy's been out there covering the stuff, you know, risking himself because he's an older, older guy. And apparently, uh, on some trip to Peru, I think with students. Yep. He said this word and it came back and the New York Times investigated and it exonerated him. So obviously the exoneration here means that um, his explanation was that we were talking about, you know, we hear this all the time. Like this happens to teachers when they're teaching Huck Finn or they're talking about racism, they're talking about speech or whatever. And he apparently was talking about it in that context. But here's the thing. I don't know. Because no one will tell, no one will say the comment. And I can't, I don't know what it is. I can't judge it. Because nowhere has the comment or the context of the comment been actually mm -hmm. published. So who... Not even in the New York Times the New York when Times. they wrote about the New York Times reporter and how he was disciplined by the New York Times. He wasn't exonerated. He was disciplined, right? They say, we conducted a thorough investigation and disciplined Donald McNeil, his name is, for statements and language that had been inappropriate and inconsistent with our values. We found he had used bad judgment by repeating a racist slur in the context of a conversation about racist language. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, amazing. It's just incredible. a trap. Okay. Just a trap. But, but it also suggests, Matt Welch, that he explicitly denied the existence of white privilege. Yeah. Now this, as he's this exhibiting stand. it. <laughs> uh, actually, I think, I think because they, so this piece originally uh, ran last week in the daily beast uh -huh. um, uh, and was uh, like uh, hailed by a lot of uh, 
half-witted uh, journalist as being an especially brave story. Um, uh, for who? For it, the beast uh, to know, run? Yeah, huh. uh, just because it show you know peel the 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 curtain back on you know the institutional racism and how the shitty men get away with everything, et cetera, et cetera. Oh my god! Um, it it uh, so. Uh, I I don't think the Daily Beast has super good sources in student travel companies based out of the Northeast, but it's probably uh, somebody who worked within the New York Times who knew about the story, knew about the discipline, uh, and was pissed that it didn't go public, and perhaps pissed that it didn't go public, um, and enough to do something about it in the same week that Donald McNeil was not just on The Daily, which is the most successful newspaper podcast, perhaps news podcast in the country and has been for a while. Um, he went on twice. He went on once to give a debrief about what's going on with COVID. Um, and people, you know, have criticized his reporting. I know plenty of people who don't like Donald McNeil's reporting. It's not really here or there for this uh, conversation. But he also interviewed Anthony Fauci. Um, and it was, as Moynihan that was a good out, one. I, I like that. Our, yeah. On our last episode, uh, that that was a particularly good interview. So um, the comments from people um, uh, were like, uh, you know, this guy is on our platform. This this beautiful word that has means so much now to apparently to people who work for uh, media institutions. Um, they were uh, outraged about it, and I, and it's my contention that the leak probably emanated from those people inside of the New York Times to the Daily Beast. Uh, and so we have uh, the students, there's, there's six students out of, a, out of 26, which is a high percentage. So it's, it, maybe he acted like a total dick. It's possible. Um, uh, he's an old dude. He's, you know, he's uh, been working at the time since 1974. Uh, well, I'm not even sure Moynihan was born by 1974. <laughs> I, I, I right? was born in 1974. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, so I, uh, I, but like uh, the statement was that he didn't believe in white supremacy. I think it was right. uh, not even privilege. Oh, is that right? Um, and and yeah, uh, if I if if I have it, it's a uh, or he was a uh, uh, he downplayed you know uh, the existence of that. So people got mad. But so he so he had a different this. opinion. Jesus Christ, we can't have that. He had. Yeah. A different opinion, and he repeated uh, according to internal investigation. Dean Backey, who is the editor in chief of the New York Times. <laughs> And and like the, I would love to have Dean Beckay as a guest someday. I would too. I would too. Let's Actually, I mean that. he he slings he slings pretty good. Like you know what he's he's working on how uh, can he survive the next like day and a half working at the New York Times because they had of course as all these places do now uh, an all hands on deck meeting to talk about this new outrage, um, which is that this has become public, and what happened. And this goes straight into something that Camille has talked about since I've met him, which is back in 1974 when he was pre-embryotic. <laughs> 150 journalists at the New York Times. It's kind of gross. Especially. <laughs> Anyways, uh, 150 journalists at the New York Times uh, wrote a letter, which just got published today. We're recording this on, I believe, Wednesday uh, night. Um, uh, uh, just got published today uh, saying, uh, expressing... Um, uh, uh, outrage and disrespect, um, and and uh, and our, our community is outraged and in pain," said the journalist from this. They demanded an, uh, an apology and a re uh, apology from Donald McNeil himself, a reinvestigation <laughs> yes. because the existing investigation until you get the right enough. conclusion. <laughs> um, 
and the thing that absolutely uh, blows my mind, because some of us who are talking about this uh, 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 on Twitter mostly, um, I think there was a piece by Nick John Nolte at, uh, at the Daily Caller, and that's about it. Nancy Rommelman wrote a piece on her Substack, and she and I talked about it uh, as well. Um, but like the and Jesse Single on Twitter, but like um, it was clear here that everyone wanted to to muddy the distinction between use uh, and an actual intent here right including the new york times in their news story about this which again never mentioned what the word was precisely and what the context was they said he used a racist slur it was right there in the headline is that if if you're describing in the context how language is used and the context is about like yeah we used to be totally homophobic you know we used to say retarded a lot in 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 massachusetts um and i feel bad about that and i don't say that anymore is using that uh, uh, Wait just a second! You're from saying California. that. <laughs> yeah, that's why he thinks. That's why he thinks it's homophobic to yeah. use the word retarded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah whatever. Uh, uh, but this is this is the this is the gold standard. I want to kick to Camille because I just want to listen to his blood boil. The company's <laughs> conclusion that McNeil's because the company concluded that uh, McNeil's intent was not hateful or malicious, mm-hmm. right? Because Dean Becquet said Dean Becquet said this thing like the first time I heard about this, I thought I'd fire him immediately, but I looked into it and his intent wasn't yeah, hateful or maybe, malicious. Maybe you should think that that instinct is bad. That like I just I thought yeah. immediately I was going to fire him, and then I investigated and realized it was more complicated than it was initially portrayed. It's- so huh. these 150 journalists said the conclusion about McTeal's McNeil's intent was, quote, irrelevant. It's incredible. They wrote in this letter saying that. that saying that the paper's own harassment training, quote, makes clear that what matters is how an act makes the victims feel. Mr. McNeil's victims weren't shy about decrying his conduct on this trip. Unquote. His victims? Participants in a conversation Were vic- overhear a word in not Peru. directed at them. I wish I got to go to Peru when I was 16. Good God. These victims. I oh, wouldn't even go with go an old Peru racist. That is, These victims. The after victims? they well, awarded from their, their Boston, frequent flyer miles, chances are high. were assaulted oh by words. Good God. I like the fact that this guy's been at the New York Times since 1974, and they've just discovered that he's a racist. It's like, you guys are journalists. Can, couldn't you have dug that up in the past, like, 50 years? And now, all of a sudden, you realize that, oh, no, he had a... Oh, I, I'm sorry. These are people, by the way, that are ready to, you know, as Dean Baquet acknowledges, we're ready to fire somebody. We're ready to do it. And it was so, like, not a big deal in the sense, like, this guy is a like a, a spittle-flecked racist that they said, okay, we're just going to pretend to discipline him. By the way, it, it, this also wasn't, didn't happen in the office when he was working. So now we're, they're saying, well, he made people feel uncomfortable outside of the office in some trip and like i guess maybe he was representing the new york times and again it's not clear because the story is is very mm-hmm. vague but the one thing that i think is amazing is the first story about a week ago six days ago that this came out in the, the daily beast and of course you can't get through a daily beast story without being like huh and there is like i'm sorry hmm. where are the editors on this one at the end like the second to last graph <laughs> this is how the second last graph starts this is a sentence McNeil's racist remarks have come to light during a period of controversy for the paper. You've just declared, as a journalist, McNeil's racist remarks. You have just called a man 
who has worked at the New York Times for almost 50 years, doesn't seem that he has a, a single stain on his record. It seems as if he was trying to have an open and honest conversation with young people about a, you know, a hot button issue. And now the because because of done he's done that, the Daily Beast just casually refers to him as a racist. McNeil's mm-hmm. racist remarks have come to light during a period of controversy for the paper. That is really astonishing. And I would I would hope that that somebody's editor in this would be like, you know what? Can we we, we don't want to call him a racist because <laughs> you are if you're saying that he uttered racist remarks because, you know, the New York Times doesn't even say that. They say, well, mm. contextually, we realize it wasn't hateful and that was not the intent. But the Daily Beast, who well, his first story about this has decided that it was. Although Time staffers, as, as Matt has indicated, are apparently outraged that the, that the New York Times hasn't gone further. I mean, this, again, I, I feel as though I, I'm going to, I risk repeating myself. And there's a sense in which I'm more mystified than outraged by all of this at this point. The fact that everyone can't see this for what it is. The fact that anyone might feel like the least bit of satisfaction in seeing the destruction of people, not on account of their having thought to or even inadvertently done a bad thing towards anyone else, but having uttered a word Mm. in a context that isn't obviously offensive to anyone in particular, they should be destroyed. And again, we don't know. Of our incredible. We, there's things we don't know here. Well, it's no, true. The New York Times isn't there, doing its job as journelists. Precisely. But, They're not e- telling but even there, like we ought, there ought to be an ounce of curiosity about what's going on. What we do know is there's kind of sort of some allegations about things. We do know that the Times itself has said that they've determined that there was no ill intent there. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's as though the only thing that matters here is the guillotine. The yeah. only thing we care about is the execution. You start, it's, it's, you start at it's, guilt and you, you try that's to, it. Yeah. You start at guilt that's and it. you try to prove yourself innocent. And this isn't about justice. No, this it's isn't not. About of course justice. it's not. It's, it's reveling it's getting, in the executions. No, it's, it's like, you know, when, 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 you know, you have these like this like referendum in Scotland and it's like, do you want to be an independent country? And it's like 41, like 50.1%. No. And it's like, oh, we'll just have a referendum again next year. And it's like, you guys are just going to keep doing this until you get it right. (laughs) And that's the thing that happens in the New York Times. It's like, we made this decision and now there's a mob. So we're going to make another decision. And newspapers should not be in the business of doubling back on their conclusions because a mob is out to get them. I'm going to read something else from the letter. This is, you know, first of all, they, they say they're disappointed by the New York Times response. They don't say that the, 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 um, you know, verdict is wrong because they don't have the evidence. You know, 150 people in the New York Times are not, you know, going through the exact same evidence. I'm sure the New York Times called people on that trip, trip, et cetera. But th- it doesn't matter. They didn't, they don't have all the evidence, but they're disappointed in the result because the result has to be guilty because if that word, even in the most benign context, um, which is a conversation about these sorts of attitudes, uh, if that was uttered, then then your career should be over. Fifty years of journalism should just be flushed down the toilet because of this. Um, this is uh, my favorite bit. The uh, uh, oh, the company has a responsibility. So we, his, uh, his colleagues, feel disrespected by his actions yeah. that happened in Peru with a bunch of high school students. <laughs> the, the company has a risk in 2019 that he was disciplined yes, for. That he yes. was at- and, and they apologize. Children, to exactly. The children. The company has a responsibility 
to take that experience seriously. These words, by the way, that have burrowed into our vocabulary, particularly of, of journalists, um, our experience, we have to take your experiences seriously. What does that mean? How does one take an experience seriously? Well, what they mean is that you have to punish him more because my experience demands it. And then at the end, of course, they say that uh, uh, the letter also called in the Times to in- reinvestigate the 2019 trip. By the way, this was over a year ago. It was over, you know, almost two years ago that this happened, by the way. This was not something that just happened. Why this is coming up now, we don't know because the New York Times is bad at reporting on stories that it actually has all the sources for because it's happening in the New York Times. Uh, to, uh, to reinvestigate the 2019 trip, reinvestigate. You came to the wrong conclusion. Do it again. This is double jeopardy. Yep. This is like dictatorial thinking. Um, as well as, quote, any newly surfaced complaints, noting that in the days since the Daily Beast article, current and former staffers have also said that McNeil had shown, quote, bias against people of color in his work and in interactions with colleagues over a period of years. Now, it's funny that those things that were so hideous, that were ruining people's lives, never never were brought up. And people were kind of tongue-tied by it. And they just were resurfaced now. This is what happened in the Amaralt case in Massachusetts. We believe the children. You know, recovered memory syndrome. Everybody is all of a sudden having these memories. I remember he treated me horribly. Maybe because you were an asshole to him. Maybe he was maybe he's actually somebody who is incredibly fair to people of all races, genders, sexual orientations, you know, et cetera. And if you he didn't like you and he was an asshole to you. People don't like people at work. This happens. And now they're like, I just I now, after 40, 50 years, I've discovered that there was a moment that I realized that he was actually a Klansman. And this at this point, they're trying to find evidence to fit their conclusion despite the fact that they have no evidence. They don't know anything about this guy. They don't know anything that, that proves this stuff. But getting a scalp is so important. It's incredibly important. And when people say, oh, well, cancel culture, you want to call it, doesn't exist. The reason they say that and how they can get away with it is because, see, this guy actually did something. So he's not being canceled. He's being punished for something he did. But when you actually look at it, he's on the other end of a psychotic mob of young people who are supposedly journalists who were acting like a thuggish band of scary, weird enforcers of some weird orthodoxy. It's really, really upsetting. Let's think about how Dean Baquet um, messaged this to his own staff. So he meted out whatever discipline happened, or presumably you know, uh, happened under his watch in 2019, but clearly it didn't get that public, right? And so that's one of the things that people are uh, upset about. And so... In his message to staff, he said, as I mentioned before, that, um, you know, when I first saw this, I thought immediately I would fire him. Okay, that's a really interesting way to talk about it. So you're already sort of like trying to bend in the direction of and build sympathy with the overwhelming uh, sentiments of of the staff. Maybe not even the overwhelming sentiments, but the sentiments that you're afraid of within your own Mm -hmm. staff. Um, At the end of his internal statement, he says... Some people think we have been too tolerant in disciplining high-profile journalists. I also (laughs) welcome that conversation. Fair treatment has to be the foundation of the diverse and equitable newsroom we are building. That is the biggest fucking don't kick me sign 
I've seen in a long time. And it's perfect. It's like it's it is such weather vane Dean Baquet at its finest. He's build he's he's not building an equitable and diverse newsroom as much as he's building, you know, the last nine months of his career before he can skedaddle without himself being accused of racism, although he, I, it, one should point out that he's a black man from Louisiana. I Doesn't don't know if he self-identifies that way. Uh, uh, no, it certainly does not uh, at all. But, like, um, he's opening up the possibility with language like that to say, yes, maybe – Maybe we need to have the conversation. Maybe we need a reinvestigation here. Maybe um, the next time a high-profile journalist at the New York Times is on the receiving end of a certain type of, of internal newsroom uh, campaign against the person or a system of complaints, um, maybe I will bend further in that direction um, because the alternatives are too awful to contemplate. The alternatives, in my mind, would be to tell – uh, 150 journalists at a, a newspaper um, that, oh, I'm sorry, you just wrote to me that the intent of language doesn't matter? <laughs> fuck you. Get a job. All of the you. The language that does get matter Get a fucking job. Fuck you. Because it's it's funny that... <laughs> it's funny you say that because what what he's saying there, and if anyone can't read between the lines, I mean, I don't know if this is maybe just in journalism you do that, but what he's talking about is in the future when we mete out punishment, we will make sure that we become worse human beings by taking into consideration <laughs> the the backgrounds, the, the, you know, whatever, identity you could say, the politics of somebody. Like, there was a woman who was a contract worker who was fired after she said, I got chills watching Joe Biden's plane land. Um, and right. she got fired. So, by the way, in when you're outside of the work organization, anytime there's a controversy in your own work and it gets reported on, you always like, are you, people really think this stuff is true? Um, we don't know what happened. We don't know if her contract was coming up. We don't know if she was tough to work with. We don't know well, if she we, was bad at her The Times job. has suggested that, that her contract was, in fact, coming up. It, and it, that they yes. had no intention of renewing and it. Had, and yeah. there had been multiple instances uh, before where they'd had to chastise her for the things that she was tweeting. But, but it, and it's, it's like, look, they're like, you have to, while they're demanding this person's firing, they're demanding her that she's not fired. So because the politics sort of line up in the, the appropriate mm-hmm. way, I mean, I imagine if she was like, I, it makes me want to puke if Joe Biden's plane landed. I suspect they'd be okay with her being fired, right? Or her contract not being renewed. Like, that's not an attitude mm. we want around here. So, but, but what, what he's basically saying is that when these punishments come up, we have to take into consideration the identity, the background, the this, that when we're meeting out the punishment, which is completely psychotic. And we see this over and over and over again. We have something t- trending the other day. It's a the hashtag. I think it trends every two days. Uh, white privilege. And the white privilege hashtag, when you clicked on it, was um, all about people who had been arrested in particular circumstances and you know held in jail while a white person in probably a different circumstance wasn't. Right. And none of these things ever try to justify, like, or ever try to look through, like, okay, so. Did this guy have prior convictions? Did this guy skip out on a, a bail or a bond or something? Did, you know, is he a flight risk because of X, Y, and Z? There's a million things that go into these decisions, right? 
But we've flattened everything to, to presume that if somebody in the justice system has this happen to them, it must be because of. Am I not open to the fact that it could? Of course it could be. We, who knows? We, this is what journalists should do. They should keep an open mind. It's probably that. It's probably this. Don't say that. Just let's look at the evidence. And so all of this stuff that was cascading through Twitter of saying this sentence and that sentence, this is And sometimes it's like, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Let's look into it more. But the immediate assumption that people are being punished or not being punished because of their, their race or their gender or something is astonishingly lazy and doesn't always compute. Well, let's, let's talk about um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the, the congresswoman. Who well, today, she's not being punished a, enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, today there was a vote in, in the House. The GOP uh, was looking at potentially removing uh, Congresswoman, is it Taylor Green or Ta- Congresswoman Green? Taylor Green. It must be Taylor. Green. Yeah, she's a double-barreled she's last name. She's very sophisticated. Um, exactly. She's MTG. so sophisticated. MTG. She reads a lot. Yes, uh, yes. I've heard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although she doesn't care about where the what the sources no, no, are. No, no, no. Um, so Miss Miss Taylor Green uh, was uh, facing a lot of crit- growing criticism because of a number of unearthed tweets, uh, Facebook posts. Uh, Facebook likes, et cetera, um, many of which were pretty scandalous. Um, her either directly or indirectly endorsing violence against members of Congress, um, liking messages that suggested the same, uh, opining openly about uh, the plane that crashed into the Pentagon, expressing skepticism that this was a thing that happened on 9-11, um, and uh, further expressing, skept- not expressing skepticism, uh, posts where she detailed concerns that the California wildfires might have been caused by Jewish bankers mm-hmm. operating space lasers. Yes, so and many no of bullshit. them. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. Welcome uh, to 2021, Camille. 2021. I'm glad that she's enlightened um, you on this issue. <laughs> as, as Republicans were not only taking up this issue, they were also taking up um, uh, an issue surrounding Congresswoman Cheney uh, because certain members of the GOP were interested in chastising her um, <laughs> for having voted in favor of impeaching former president Donald Trump. Um, both of these women, it seems, managed to escape censure. Lucky for, for Miss Cheney. It's astonishing that she managed to escape censure for that. Um, but here's the thing with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, she is almost certainly, and this is a pretty extraordinary accomplishment because there are plenty of really crazy sons of bitches in Congress. Yeah, she is the craziest person in Congress, hundred percent, undoubtedly. I I think this is just 100%. certifiably true, and yeah, any anyone would agree to this. Um, but the GOP has decided that they will not strip her of her. Oh, they did decide that, and yeah, they voted yeah. against this. Oh, um, and. They are leaving it up to the Democrats, who are almost certainly going to pursue this. And this is a gift for them. This is a gift for the media as well, who desperate to find news stories that make sense and give them an opportunity to talk about Donald Trump. Miss um, Marjorie Taylor Greene is about as close to that as you could possibly get. And this story is not over. And the campaign to get rid of this woman will continue. Um, and I, I wonder, gentlemen, what, what the two of you think. I mean, certainly she was recently elected. Uh, the, the the good citizens of Georgia decided that she was the person they wanted to represent them. Um, they were well aware of the fact that she was a QAnon uh, devotee, mm-hmm. one imagines, um, or at least some of them were. Should the GOP be stripping her of her committee positions? Should folks be looking to do 
even more than that on account of posts that were made prior to her being elected prior to her i imagine running for office for the most part um does it, <laughs> you mean does the, it you mean the evidence of who she is <laughs> yeah <laughs> and of course yes she's, they should she's, denied, her she's yeah. denied that she made most of these point posts the yes. public statement she originally issued suggested that someone had access to her accounts completely unbelievable is she a host of uh, msnbc now <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but what do you what do you make of this Mitch McConnell went after her yesterday, I think, with with guns blaring. I think that she becomes a symbolic um, outlet for people's desire to not have it all be about Trump or at least the transferal. So what I mean by that is that the media uh, that has been geared up for the last five years to be outraged by Trump and a lot of the outrage is absolutely warranted or at least in the direction of being warranted from my estimation, but also the outrage machine um, itself, like overextended very frequently. And, and uh, we spend a lot of the, of the duration of this, of this podcast kind of talking about uh, the hyperventilation associated with it, even uh, as, as alarming and awful as some bits have been. Um, of Trump's own root behavior. But anyways, he disappeared, and he's not on Twitter. So, like, where does that energy go? Where does the, where does the staffing talent, where, where does, <laughs> you've got to find some place to go Has he not started to a talk about? Uh, not yet. When he does, he's going to come on the podcast, <laughs> exactly. right? That's the, that's the rule. That's the pattern. Get kicked off. That would be No, we'll have to settle for Will Wilkinson podcast. for now. No, we won't. <laughs> anyways, um... Uh, no, so like the media goes there, but also don't sleep on uh, McConnell's uh, approach here, right? McConnell doesn't want to fight with Donald Trump. That's what he's having. That's what's actually happening in the Republican Party is that there is a fight between Donald Trump. And the proximate cause here is impeachment, but then it'll still be with us after uh, impeachment fails in the Senate, which is that the Republican Party um, – can't digest this pig in a python it just can't um he's still by far the most popular person in the party he still controls the levers of power or or trumpism trump loyalty is the most dominant characteristic at the chairmanship at every state party at the national uh committee uh all over the place he's the most popular politician uh in the party mcconnell hates him hates him with a white hot passion because he lost mcconnell's majority um, essentially, by being a uh, raving dick cheese in Georgia about the recount shit um, uh, in a state that the Republicans should have rightfully won um, at least one of the two seats and probably both. Um, but he, Trump made it all about himself, made it all about his crazy things that he was talking about. So McConnell hates him for that and probably hates him for a bunch of other reasons, too. Um, but he can't really wake up in the morning and say, Dudes, like, we went too far with this Trump stuff. We gotta like go into a different direction. Um, he can't say that. What he can say is that the future of the Republican Party is not Marjorie Taylor Green, whatever her name is. Um, uh, so like, she becomes the object of his kind of displaced um, uh, anger. Um, and so it's a symbolic fight, but it's one to be clear that Mitch McConnell is going to lose. 
I think, uh, for any foreseeable future, which is to say I think Mitch McConnell would love to see Donald Trump impeached, and he ain't going to get that happen. And he, he would love to see the Republican Party move on yeah. from Donald it's Trump. A, I mean, that would it's be not a, moving on from Donald yeah, Trump. I mean, it would be a shortcut back to the Republican par- Party of Mitch McConnell, right? And, you know, preventing him from running for reelection next time around. But, you know, but I mean, what does what does the House not understand about this opportunity here? Like, well, why what, wouldn't they they punish this woman? I mean, it's it's remarkable because, I mean, I think I think everything that Matt said is correct. And I think the thing that bugs me about it is that, you know, there isn't anybody within the Republican Party who's acting like a Latin American Cadillo who's seeing an opportunity now to seize power and just, you know, wreck everybody else. They don't do mm. that. They've just like, well, look at the polling. Trump's popular. It's like oh, the only thing you have to look at is the fact that you are in the minority in the House, in the Senate because of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. don't have somebody in the White House because of Donald Trump. That's over three. What was the legislation that you were promised? Where was the wall that you were promised? Where is all this like, you know, Trump's going to destroy <laughs> Obamacare? Where is it? At what point do you diver- like, uh, you know, divorce yourself from this idea that he's really good at yelling at the media and he's pretty funny on stage sometimes? Because that's the type of person that this woman is, this Marjorie Taylor Greene. She like is in those fever swamps. And that is all that I mean, she has no interest and no idea about governing. What do like what has she said about governing? I mean, what she's going to, you know, find the <laughs> Jewish uh, space lasers. I mean, what is like there's probably there's probably a rabbi in the Midwest that's controlling it and I'm going to find him. I mean, th- these people do not have a coherent ideology. They do not have a coherent plan. And if you want two party government in America. If you think that, you know, it's always like there's so little differences between Republicans and Democrats. Fuck you. That's not true. It's just not true. There there are huge differences (laughs) between Republicans and Democrats. There are fewer now because of Donald Trump. Right. Everybody's competing for that that sort of, you know, populist ground that, you know, let's give two thousand dollar checks to everybody. And, you know, if you're one of those people that comes out and says, should we just be printing money like this? You're like George Will and you're a rhino. So now the rhino is somebody that had the kind of ideology in the politics of the Republican Party, like, you know, 10 years ago. So like there is an opportunity, one would think, when Donald Trump has no voice, no actual public facing voice, is stuck in Mar-a-Lago and he's just made sure that the Republican Party was wiped out. One would assume that despite the polls, despite the fact that what you're that you can wrest this party back from the Trump idiots in the greatest manifestation of Trump idiocy is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is seems to be sort of mentally, you know, unwell. Um, I, I, I believe that there's something wrong with her. Normal she's, people she's don't touched. think that. she's touched. She's, she's touched. touched. Yeah, there's something yeah. wrong with her. There's a little something yeah. going on. Yeah, I mean, this this is like somebody who's been infected. Uh, that you know, she's the type of person that if she wasn't running for Congress or wasn't in Congress, she'd be storming Congress. She's that type of person, right? No, and, that's that's exactly true. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, I, I would, everybody's acquitted themselves poorly in this whole focus on her. Because by the way, b- before we started this podcast, I look at the cover of the most prestigious news- newspaper in Sweden, uh, Dagens Nyheter, and the cover story, big cover story, was about her. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to do that than actually yeah, yeah. pay They're attention to anything. A point that uh, Justin Amash has been making to his credit since leaving uh, Congress um, and, you know, maintaining his public facing uh, 
posture uh, on social media and, and elsewhere is that, hey, look, Congress doesn't do anything. And that's not like just like Congress doesn't do anything. It's like, no, actually, Congress doesn't do anything. What do you think these backbenchers do? So it's, it becomes a position uh, like was the guy's name, Madison Cawthorn. I don't know anything about it, but but he uh, was in the news recently because he said he basically has no policy staff, just communication staff. And people were, were semi-outraged about that. But also, like, um, you know, why why not? Like, is, that's is that all why they do. he did that Chomsky tweet about the American empire? <laughs> did you see that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, huh? But like, what is, it's not like, that wasn't like Taftian Republican isolationism. It was like the empire. I was like, man, is that, do, are you writing a piece for Counterpunch this week? I mean, what is going on? <laughs> horseshoe, baby. Horseshoe. It is the horseshoe, yeah. Uh, no, but like they're just not. Um, uh, you're going to get people who are performative political barkers, right? Like it's it's if it might not be Marjorie Taylor Greene precisely, but it's going to be someone you know just maybe five degrees. And uh, Matt Getz from Florida, who occasionally says something that I, I, I agree with, like he's against the forever wars. He's you know he's Chomsky had on war on occasion, uh, and like you know I think Kennedy the House trained him on surveillance, um, uh, which is fine. But like uh, it's people who are used to doing publicity stunts mm. because they're not doing anything mm. else, right? Um, and that is worth keeping in mind uh, with political coverage and with one's own consumption of politics, like. They really don't matter what these people do. There, there's the thing about her, and I think there's actually something pernicious out there that no one is paying attention to. The thing about her is that she's so sort of patently ludicrous. And you can say, well, not really, because she was elected. I mean, I'd like to see, now that this stuff has been dug up, I mean, her opponent, whoever that was, didn't do a good job of doing oppo research. Um, and maybe maybe it wouldn't have mattered. Maybe people didn't, don't, don't care because they were that she was the Trumpian candidate. But, you know, this stuff is so ridiculous. Like, the election was stolen. I mean, come on. Let's, let's, be, let's be real here. And everywhere in the media, people, including Newsmax, in which somebody walked off the set of Newsmax, even they're like, that's such a great clip. That's ridiculous. <laughs> With the pillow guy clip. who's, like, screaming at the top yeah. of his lungs. It's like, <laughs> that's insane. Like, lasers and the Rothschilds. Like, that's not, that's, people aren't going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm into that now. It's so like patently ridiculous. But my problem is, is that, um, and I have an enormous problem with her, and the Republican Party should have stripped her of almost everything and shouldn't isolate her and should not allow her to have a happy time those two years. She should have a miserable time. And, I, and I'm mm. honestly, they should bully her and they should be, that's what happens. You, you're, you're an insane person. People don't talk to you. People cut you out of things and that should happen. And I wish they would mm -hmm. and they're not going to. But if you look on the other end of that, there is a respectable type of craziness now that is being ignored by everybody. So if you go on TV... And you say something batty and weird and, you know, like, holy shit, you get the clip goes around and you get beaten up and Jake Tapper does a thing and Don Lemon does a thing. And then if you're on the other end of that, nothing happens. And the, ver the version of that that I saw this week, and there's a listener that pointed it out to me, is Michael Beschloss, the historian, you know, very famous historian and, 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 you know, highly regarded historian, too. Goes on to Rachel Maddow's show. So, by the way, you instantly lose your status 
as a highly respected historian, if you're going on a show like that, that's, historians shouldn't be on shows like that. Don't <laughs> chase the fame. You're a historian. Hang out. Because what happens is you go on the show like that, and you start talking like people on that show. And what did he say? This is so crazy. He said, you know, 1-6 is a day that will be remembered like 9-11. And just like they were trying to fly a plane into the Capitol building, which is what we su- suspect, the one that went down in Shanksville, mm-hmm. they succeeded while Al-Qaeda, oh, wow. Al-Qaeda failed. Wow. And, and, and no one heard of this clip. It, it was so crazy that I was like, wait, wow. you're a, a Taylor Green. She's a lunatic. And you're more pernicious in a way because she's a lunatic and everybody knows it. In the entire, mm-hmm. like, Mitch McConnell's like, you're an, an embarrassment. Yeah, they're not doing anything to strip her, um, uh, you know, for these committee appointments. But the thing is, is that, yeah, that's just naked politics. And they're, you know, hate the Democrats more than they, you know, hate Marjorie Taylor Greene's constituents, <laughs> to be honest. But this happens. No one bats an eye. No one bats an eye. NPR has a story with some, you know, military specialist and says, you know, we should treat the people who did this on the 6th like we treated Al-Qaeda in the Taliban after 9-11. I, like the pushback on that was almost nothing in which they said, you know, we don't, I don't want to compare people. <laughs> I don't want to compare American citizens to members of Al Qaeda. But so why would you say we should do this? I was like, wait, are we truly at the point that we are war on terrorizing a bunch of shitheads that did things that they're going to jail for? And thank God that they are going to jail for them. You know, I mean, what, what's next? People are going to say that, you know, they might do this again. We should put them in Cuba. I mean, I don't understand where this ends, but there's no sense that a smart person like Michael Beschloss should not be ruining his reputation for no money whatsoever to go on Rachel Maddow's show and say something that is so crazy in, in a way offensive and nobody cares. Like that kind of craziness exists all over the place. And, you know, from Chuck Schumer who said, like, this is the Pearl Harbor of our generation. No, it's not. No, it's not. 9-11 was the Pearl Harbor of our generation. It was like, you know, 3,000-odd yeah. people died in, in, in both, similar death toll in both places. In like, in like a surprise a attack surprise and attack. stuff, yeah. Uh, th- th- yeah. This language... It wasn't advertised. No, it wasn't advertised. This language that is being ratcheted up because you have to... Because Biden is the president now to keep the focus on the, the sort of, you know, perfidious members of the GOP and their perfidious constituents is that like, this is not the healing that we need. I don't, I'm not a type of person that says, Oh, well, Joe Biden, I see this everywhere. Joe Biden promised that it was going to be bipartisan. It's like, well, of course not. I mean, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be, he's going to get his policies through, but he's, what he's saying is that when there are opportunities to come across the aisle, he'll do that. That's fine. That's what he's saying. Everything he's doing on that front is totally fine, but I don't, and he's not responsible for this stuff, but you know, guys, you cannot do this where you talk out of both sides of your mouth that there there is way too much polarization and division in American politics. And the next breath say, we literally just experienced another 9-11. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. The, the, the death toll is slightly different, uh, number one. And there was an ideology that's slightly different, too. An underrated factor um, is the, uh, the, the craziness of the eyeball. Um, which is to say, um, 
that you look at Marjorie Taylor Greene or Michelle Bachman before her. She was a, a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something kind of crazy <laughs> looking to her if you came from the perspective, which is truth be told, kind of it's my milieu. It's Moynihan's. I won't speak for Camille because uh, he doesn't self-identify in any way. Uh, but like the, you know, people who are into who get into journalism have some broad commonalities in the way they see things in the world, even if they disagree ideologically or disagree about a variety of things. We can all safely look at Michelle Bachman. I would say 99% of journalists covering policy politics on the national level can look deeply into the eyes of Michelle Bachman and go, wow, she's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, Just exactly. look at her yeah. um, it's, Part of it is an absolute is an aesthetic response. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I think Michelle Bachman is kind of crazy. And part of my is aesthetic. I'm, I am a guilty party here, but this is, I think what drives so many conservatives crazy and are not even just conservatives, but people who are constantly driven off of the media and make helping to make anti-media uh, kind of uh, animus about the only thing that the Republican coalition has in common anymore. And this has been true true. since before Donald Trump came along. Mm -hmm. He was better at dealing with that. But I remember seeing, I think it was CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee and conference or whatever in 2014 or 15 at the latest. And like, that's the only applause line that Jeb Bush could get is if he turned (laughs) turned it against the media. That's the thing. And that's why, because... Uh, those who are not part of this class that Moynihan and I are part of, who don't have the same aesthetic responses and impulses, uh, don't necessarily immediately go, oh, she's crazy, and oh, he's sane. Um, And that's the thing. Beschloss gets the sanity card. That's fine. No one cares. Um, And that happens, those aesthetic judgments, which are essentially aesthetic. It's not Yeah, no, that's that's right, because it's why it disappoints me. Are made constantly. It's why it disappoints me so much, because I can imagine listeners saying, well, you know, she's a member of Congress. So that's why it's more important. Um, okay, uh, you know, granted, and she's being raked over the coals, and, and justifiably so. There are 435 members of Congress. You're always going to get some real nuts, um, and she's this year's nut. Uh, my issue is that Michael Beschloss is, is, is a serious guy, and I don't like to see people who are serious historians and people whose books that I've a- appreciated, number one, not not be serious and, and, and be, you know, I, I don't, I hope that he doesn't believe that because I think it's a crazy thing to say. And also is that I just think that that kind of stuff should get more ridicule. I don't imagine that anyone at the New York times or anyone at any sort of mainstream news publication who actually tweets politically would ever tweet that and say, this is gross. They're like, no, I hate that event of January 6th so much that I would never, why would I push back against that even though it's patently crazy and it makes our, our discourse worse? It actually, you know, harms our discourse, I think. And it's like, you know, the whataboutism here is like, well, Trump's been doing that for four years. Yes, and I'd like to recover from it. And I don't want Michael Beschloss making it worse. So I think the important thing for people who find that January 6th is the most offensive thing in their, in their lifetime, I think it was bad, <laughs> I don't think it was the worst thing in my lifetime, um, it's important to actually call people out that are saying things about that that are hyperventilating, that are wrong, that are not true, that are draw stupid and, and inexact and inappropriate historical parallels. But you can't do that, can you? Because you want to make sure that everybody knows at all times 
what you think about it. We all know. We all know what you think about it because you're a normal person and because you're a journalist, right? But, you know, it's, it's okay to call out other people who are talking about the bad event who also thinks the event is bad but is using mm. really, really terrible language to, to explain that. I mean, for me, I just, I, you know, it's this constant Nazi parallels and, you know, 9-11 parallels. Just stop it now. It is what it is. It was a self-contained unit. It has nothing to do with Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and it doesn't have anything to do with 19 hijackers. And it wasn't a hologram. That last bit. So should we well should done. we talk about should we talk about the, the current controversy um, surrounding uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? And I, I mean, I, I think that the issue here is that there will need to be some reporting on this, mm. uh, by which I mean, like some actual investigative shoe leather stuff in order for us to sort out precisely what's going on here um, uh, yesterday. I believe it was um, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez posted um, a video um, in she which she Instagram was live. interviewed. Um, yeah. Was it Instagram Live or was she She was doing an Instagram Live that... that okay. Um, and then she subsequently like been interviewed like about Fellini the same film. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think she was subs <laughs> subsequently interviewed uh, about it, yeah. Yeah. So she was she was recounting her experience, um, the as she describes it, the trauma that she endured. Um, on the day that the, the Capitol riot took place and people were running through the halls of the Capitol building. And she, you know, she gave this detailed account of what happened. She in particular spent some time talking about what it was like when a man who she did not know, who as according to her account, hadn't identified himself was looking for her yelling, pounding on the door apparently of her office, according to her account, and eventually discovered her in the bathroom somehow. Um, and while he didn't identify himself at the time, uh, she would later discover he was actually a Capitol Police officer who apparently was kind of mean to her. And all of this, according to her, and she was emotional during this interview um, or video, all of this left her in, in a pretty bad way and left a pretty profound impact, made a pretty profound impact on her. But today, uh, a lot of conservative Twitter, which apparently is a mm -hmm. thing I've learned this week, um, Today, it has been trending that she, uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, is effectively the, the new uh, Jesse Smollett mm -hmm. because it's been Jesse suggested Smollett. that she wasn't actually yeah. in the building, mm -hmm. the Capitol building. She was in a different building mm -hmm. on the Capitol no. complex. She was, now, in the, she was in her office in the Cannon, in the cannon building. In the Cannon building. Now, Which, it, as you, you know, I'm sure if you've been there, is, you I've, know, I've if you're there. facing the Capitol, yes. it's... East um, on Pennsylvania, uh, going now, up the hill. Now, so. and the reason I say this needs to be looked into is because you know, in the account that she's given, and when I've gone and looked at it in other places, I, I just read a piece in Voice of America shortly before we got started. She describes a situation where she was instructed to go to another congressional office building, where she eventually ended up in the office of California Representative Kate, California Representative Katie Porter, mm -hmm. um, and later Massachusetts Representative Ayanna Presley, both fellow Democrats. The thing about it is, like, they both have their offices, if I'm not mistaken, in the Longworth House office building, yep. which is right next door, mm -hmm. which is actually slightly closer to the Capitol building, which just seems a bit strange. Um, so I don't know. I'm not sure how many people had, you know, breached the, the Cannon House 
office building. Uh, I don't remember a great deal of reporting about this in I particular. I don't think any, there, but it, I could be wrong about that. It is that, the case that she any. was in her office. Um, uh, another fellow congressperson who I believe is a Republican said that she was also in her office. Actually, I know she was a Republican. I just can't remember who, but said she was in her office two doors down from Ocasio-Cortez and didn't hear anything. Um, and it's it's a bit of a scandal. It, it it's It's not obvious to me what to make of this except to say that this does seem a little strange and I'm, certainly I'm seems like the sort of thing this. that warrants some yeah. investigation at a minimum and yeah. i'm not sure that we're going to see additional investigations into this because for the most part i've seen people kind of going to their their partisan corners yeah and deciding that that's essentially the only thing that matters here uh but I, I'm going to defend her on to this. me if you're not telling the truth with a, or if you're potentially exaggerating. So yeah. go ahead, Winnin. Tell yeah. me what, what are your thoughts? Well, a defender on this with a, with a small caveat. Uh, you know, look, this is this is the thing, the type of thing that a bunch of dickheads on Twitter can get trending the the AOC hashtag with you know Cortez replaced and swapped out with Smollett. Um, which, you know, was a, a totally invented thing that never happened, right? And this is a matter of being in somebody's place, being in mm -hmm. somebody's skin and how this feels. Well, I'll just put it this way. I think the one thing that everybody's missing is this. There was a Capitol Police officer there, and did she treat that in the right way? She said, well, I thought he was, he was like a white guy. I thought he was a white supremacist or something. It's like, that's a little paranoid. Um, so I don't think that's true. But uh, maybe criticize her on that. But um, put it this way. There's a cop coming to get her. There's a cop coming to get her to move her from mm -hmm. Cannon. So mm -hmm. the cops are thinking the same thing. The cops no are worried about, about, about There's this. been no dispute about that. No far. dispute about that. And, you know, is, is there an aspect of this that you can't, this is just a total judgment. You just have to look at it and say, well, I'm judging it this way without knowing the person. Is there an aspect, and I think this is what is upsetting conservatives, that is performative that is over the top that, you know, yeah. Okay, fine. Great. But it doesn't, it doesn't diminish the fact that, in sh you know, look to constantly say like I was going to be murdered and Ted Cruz was going to be my murderer. I don't mm -hmm. like this rhetoric. I think it's, I think mm -hmm. it's shitty and I think you should stop doing it. And it was, if there was a situation where there was somebody coming to get you and they were tackled and even if they were unarmed, there was somebody like, I know AOC's office is here and like some cop tackles the guy. Then it's even more, but we don't have any of that. So getting yeah. to that point of like ratcheting up, like there's, I, I was almost murdered. It's like, no, no, you were almost murdered when someone fires a bullet and it whizzes past your ear and hits the you know, wall behind you. That's almost <laughs> murdered. Okay. So let's not use that kind of language. Just say it was a dangerous situation for me. I totally agree. I'm on board with it was a totally dangerous situation for you. And I understand that how you react in that way. And I understand how some with hindsight can overreact. And I don't think that it's appropriate for me or anybody else or anyone on Twitter to say that she overreacted in that situation. You don't know what the fuck that's like because you're like sitting in your basement, like, you know, mapping out like the fucking Zapruder film where the Canon office building is. <laughs> I've been in the Canon office building 35,000 times. Are you taking shots at me? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, I've been in that building 35,000 times. I cannot figure out which tunnel is going to take me to the Library of Congress nope. and which one is going to take me to the Capitol. I, I just, it's baffling. It's, uh, you know, it's hard for them. She was like, they can come through the tunnels. And by the way, it's the only, um, the only building that doesn't have one of those little subway cars in it. 
uh, that's a walk. There's, a, there's the, the, the cannon tunnel that goes to, to the, the Capitol. And, you know, it's a mm-hmm. confusing kind of weird thing. But it's connected. Sounds like you've mapped those out No, just because I keep getting <laughs> lost in there. It's not because I think AOC is about to get murdered like fucking Allende or something. I mean, come on. It's like. Uh, the Chiron tonight from Fox News. Best actress in a political drama. Wow. Representative Alexandria Ocasio it's a Cortez. Pretty good wow. <laughs> you have to wow. Uh I mean Matt, uh, one thing I would yeah, one I w- thing I would like to say to that. So you yeah. Go ahead and, and ask me something well, else too. Well, I mean, I don't need to tee you up because you were about to say something. I mean it it it's one of those things where I I guess I do want to push you a little bit mm-hmm. because the thing that no one seems willing to acknowledge here is Yes, this is a challenging situation. I think Moynihan is completely accurate in his in his description of things. A police officer came to get her. There was a credible reason to suspect that something bad might happen to her on that day. Mm-hmm. In much the same way I watched that footage of um, Rand Paul today, I rewatched it, leaving the White House on his way back to his hotel or whatever um, on the night of the RNC when he was surrounded by a crowd who was yeah, yeah. you know screaming at him and his wife. Like, it was kind of scary. I can only imagine that AOC and her team watching coverage of what was happening at the Capitol building in her office would have been somewhat afraid of what's going on as well. And it's not at all unbelievable to me that a police officer comes to get her in particular to make certain she gets someplace safe. That makes sense to me. Um, people were people were ducking and covering, right? But it does seem to <sighs> me that it is necessarily true that there is some political advantage mm-hmm. in exaggerating here there is some political advantage in not letting this thing go in as much as she shouldn't have to let it go this shouldn't have happened but if you're going to continue to talk about it then pushing it as far as you possibly can accusing fellow members of congress of being complicit in an attempted murder on yourself is advantageous to you and this is a it's a difficult circumstance because people shouldn't be saying that sort of thing, or at least they might be <laughs> reluctant to say that sort of thing in public. I suppose that includes me, but whatever. <laughs> so, Watch. like, are you more upset that she uh, was over the line and saying that Ted Cruz <laughs> like was was inciting murder against her? Or are you more upset at Ted Cruz spending, you know, two months growling at crowds? We're not going to let them steal this election. <laughs> which seriously, which of those two things upsets you more? I, I can I upset about both things. I, no, I, I want you. I want you to make a choice. I, I could say that the Ted Cruz thing came first. So I think that's bad. Like, I want you to make a choice. I, I don't know that I have to decide that one is worse than the other. I mean, for me, it's well, all like actually, WWE, it, Washington, no, congressional like, nonsense. I understand that. Yeah. But I think actually the the weighing well, the and Ted making Cruz a thing choice. Is completely contrived. So I can I, I can grant that. But I, mean, what's I don't think worse? Ted Cruz ever but believed. But what's actually, yeah, what's I, actually I suppose worse? it's worse to completely contrive an allegation of a stolen election that I cannot believe. And based on his recent statements, I don't believe Ted Cruz actually believed that Mm-mm. this election was stolen at all. I don't think he believed a single which, word of it. Which makes it worse. In my, yeah. in my yeah. view, which my view makes yeah. it worse. Like, but, but here's the question. Becomes, here's the question. Cynical. Does AOC yeah. actually believe that Ted Cruz is like culpable yes. for 
the, the <laughs> actions that took place that day. You don't even have to And that he the tried question. to help get her murdered. Does she uh, actually yes. believe 100%. that her fellow members of so. Congress participated in her murder? Does she actually believe 100%. that the allegations that she had originally alluded to, this insider knowledge that she had, that members of Congress came close to death that day, which she couldn't talk about before, but now she seems to have revealed, which effectively amounts to someone in Congress who was apparently a fellow Democrat had texted her and told her to be careful. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm uh, just saying I, that, I, that you're I, milking this. It's <laughs> important also to remember Absolutely, that, Ted, that yeah. Ted Cruz is not responsible for this. No matter how bad he lied, no matter how much you play into the hands of the Trump crowd, because that's going to save your political hide or it's going to, you know, you know, sort of benefit you with your constituents who, who are Trumpy. You are not responsible when you say, I think they stole the election if somebody tries to kill somebody in Congress. If, if you know, Steve Scalise was shot by a guy who liked Bernie or whatever, we've talked about this quite a bit, but if Bernie one time said Steve Scalise is, is you know, making poor people, you know, die in the cold, you know, that's a bad thing. He says he's murdering people. He's putting them in the cold. They're dying. And you go and you shoot him. Bernie's not responsible. Just as Ted Cruz is not responsible for saying that mm-hmm. the election was a fraud. His claim is a fraud. He knows it's a fraud. He is a disgrace because of it. And he should be ashamed of himself and should be punished at the ballot box next in, 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 in his next um, uh, election in the Senate. I, I, all of that is true. All of that can be true at the same time. We don't need to start blaming people for the actions of this crowd. Like Donald Trump is different. Number one, because it's different when you're when you're the president. I think that should be obvious. But the second thing heard is that, heard that here. We should start a podcast named "It's Different When You're the President." It's different when you're the president. And the other the other thing is brought to you by the people who gave you the fifth column. Is when you're saying go to the Capitol. It's going to be wild. <laughs> that is that is like, I mean, it's going to be wild. Like in what way? You have strippers? Oh no, because it's a bunch of mouth breathing <laughs> lunatics who are going to stab people with flags. That's how wild it's going to be. You know, so there's there's a series of those things with the president. But I, I don't I don't like the fact that we're in this place that everybody just, you know, nobody even debates the idea that Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley are responsible for these things, you know, writ large. Like they are responsible. Now, you can come back at that and say there are other people who the people who do that are also responsible. But if if the but she narrows it down to the violence. Some he almost got me killed, despite the fact that there yeah. was no act of violence perpetrated on her. She's saying that they probably would have done so if. And you know what? That's an interesting uh, question. Uh, that I wouldn't. I'm probably on her side. I think that if somebody sees her, the way these people process their political enemies is sickening. And they dehumanize them. AOC, like Nancy Pelosi, actually would probably be torn apart. Uh, first, AOC's great enemy, because they believe Nancy Pelosi to be like the heart of evil in America. It's a sickness that has overwhelmed people that become way too political and their brains aren't sort of, their frontal lobes don't work in the way that can actually handle too much politics. So they end up becoming these psychopaths. And, you know, just, there's you cannot say that people who make bananas conspiracy theories are then responsible for everything those those people do, and especially when they, when no one did anything, um, the threat was real. I agree. I've said that a number of times. But I a couple of points. One is that if um, 
Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley in particular, yeah, but also brothers. if, but if other ones, uh, Mitch McConnell comes to mind, would have said once it was clear that uh, Joe Biden won the election, up oh, Joe Biden won the election. Yeah, if they just would have said yeah. that and not cottoned on to the conspiracy theories and stuff, it would have made January sixth different. Um, they hate Mitch McConnell so not, much, though, and they they hated him before too, because he's like the old Republican that has never been in step with Trumpism. So I think that's for sure. True. I think you're right for sure. But like, but if, if this, the this, as long as like Trump is saying if, it. if if Republicans hadn't given Trump a ramp on this bullshit, and it was clear that it was bullshit from. I don't know, within a week after the election, I forget what I've been trying to blank it out of my brain. But once the challenges started to work through the court system, once we started to get some pretty decent journalism about it, it became clear that there wasn't really a there there. It's not that there wasn't individual or, you know, uh, isolated or whatever or sporadic uh, uh, instances of like, what what's going on over there? Yeah. Um but it's more like it's just it, there wasn't a preponderance. There wasn't a reason to think that there was something specifically outrageous happening in this election. After that, um, if Republicans and this is Georgia Republicans, not just Raffensperger or you know, the secretary of state there and those people, but the people running for uh, uh, for uh, the Senate election would have said, OK, seriously, Trump, shut the fuck up. You're wrong. You lost. We're running over here to win. If they would have done that kind of yeah. thing, um, it would have made January 6th look a lot different, look a lot more lonely. Republicans, by their weak fucking spines, gave Trump more and more purchase to spread this, which then gave people more and more encouragement. So yeah, I don't think hurt. I don't think that th- I mean, it certainly could. I have don't hurt, think yeah, that yeah. there is. And, and I say this is someone who's who does not generally uh, agree with incitement as as uh, uh when people accuse others of incitement i almost always say no um and so uh, this is not a direct accusation of incitement but i'm just saying that mm-hmm. their their actions ted cruz is not blameless for January. Yeah, no 6th. i don't i don't ble- he's yeah. not he's not the cause but he's not blameless either and about ocasio cortez one thing that i um have great sympathy for is not her kind of serial self-dramatization which is part of her charm too but it's also part of what is what is not charming about her um she's just got to be the star of every story um and uh uh but uh that when you are living through history you don't know the outcome and uh, and the outcomes can be super scary and they could end up in ways that your minds can't begin to wrap around in the moments of living through them. And uh, it's not you know, we're we're looking back from the outcome now and it's not wrong to look at this this way. Like, OK, that was the high water mark of the crazy. The crazy is going to subside. Um, there's not going to be violent, murderous protests at every state capital. Yeah, I it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna fizzle. I think that's that's my prediction. I think there's gonna be sporadic something or others, but I think it's a safe I mean, it's, pr- it's, prediction. But that's a prediction after we've seen what's happened since. Um, if you're in the middle of it when it's happening, and you are one of the five or so most telegenic people out there, and you're a drama queen too, um, and there's a burly cop in in your office, 
that you don't know what the hell's going on. Um, I can understand completely um, thinking, oh, shit, because I would think, oh, shit, in my own different way. Uh, but I might be a little bit more magnanimous to the person who's trying to get me to safety and not immediately think that he was a racist. Uh, white there, 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 or a There's racist. a lot to unpack there, but I'm going to keep it brief and say that I think that that's, it can't hurt by the way, to go way back to the, the initial point is I, it, it can't hurt for Republicans to actually denounce this stuff from the get go. Um, mm. My repeated interactions with Trump people make me believe that that's only so much that that would do because it is, it does uh, function effectively like a cult. It doesn't matter what yeah. Donald Trump says. They will believe it and they will follow it. You are my leader. Let me follow you. So that's it's, it's, it's not a falsifiable thing, but it's just my, my speculation. It, but on, on the point about incitement, which I think is an important one, I, too, and that's the reason I say this, is I have a very, very, very high bar for incitement. And we used to have this, by the way, because it was used as a political weapon. I often talk about, I think it was either Stokely Carmichael or H. Rap Brown, where, you know, very famously was was charged with incitement because there was later a riot after one of his speeches, I believe, in Baltimore. But this is this is the thing. We're in a moment right now where people believe that words are violence. We're in a moment right now where people are trying to sort of you know, contract speech because they believe speech is the, the proximate cause for all of these bad things that are happening. Racism, you know, white supremacy, you know, uh, homophobia, whatever it might be, uh, transphobia. If they can only shut down the words, then this stuff will go away. That's, you know, very common thing to think, uh, even, you know, amongst smart, well-educated people. And they also believe that if somebody says something you know, this was not an actual election. This was a, a phony. Even if they're saying, and I think that Ted Cruz, if he was trying to say this, he would say, well, they changed the rules because of COVID beforehand. And I don't think that actually had the right result. And then moved this, that, and the other, which is a slightly more plausible thing, but still bullshit, right? It's the same kind of instinct of this, this idea that, I think this is, I mean, AOC believes the stuff about language, right? Believes the stuff about, you know, hate speech, believes the stuff about, you know, we must control the things that people say because it'll have better outcomes for minorities, people of color, et cetera. And that kind of thinking gets you into this area where we used to be, particularly people on the left, used to be very, very skeptical of the idea of incitement particularly because how it was used against people in like black power movements. They'd be they'd say certain things and they'd take them down. And, and it would be after something happened. Like the, the Baltimore thing is there actually was a riot. And, you know, civil libertarians at the time said this is actually a bad precedent. But we should not, you know, just because the things that people are saying are awful, the results are really, really awful. Be really, really skeptical of the power that you give to words to create actions right the, the 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 legal threshold is quite high your threshold should be quite high too not you matt but one's threshold should be quite high too and to say i think it's much easier to say but it doesn't have the political impact it doesn't have the political punch to say it is a disgrace what ted cruz did he contributed to this environment period he tried to kill me he almost got me murdered that's not the same thing you're you're yeah. doing the punch up thing and you're making it worse and you're get you're you're having people say like Cory Bush now and I talked about this on the Patreon the other day we have to get these people out of congress no we don't that's what elections are for elections get people out of congress 
You cannot run people out for saying shitty things. They were elected because they said shitty things. If you want to expel the people of that Georgia district, great, go ahead. But the problem remains that the people in the Georgia, in that district, elect a person like this. Stop thinking that, you know, ordinances, you know, deplatforming, kicking people off of this, that, and the other, kicking them out of Congress, it doesn't work. Stop thinking it works. It makes everything worse. If you think your neighbor hates you now, he's going to hate you more in the future when you're on the other side of a political issue. Anyway. Yeah. Well, we've been going for a little bit. I'd love to push this a little bit further. Um, uh, Of course. A bit of housekeeping really quickly. Uh, Matt, you're going to be on real time this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to fucking like make it so I can't possibly succeed. Well, I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't outshine, you can't outshine a supernova, but you know, you can try, you can try. These coattails big, baby. It's okay. It's okay. And that was Reggie Jackson. Up next is Bucky Dent. (laughs) It's like that's chicken Stanley. Uh, uh, Yeah, I'm going on real time. Uh, Please watch. I'm sure that our, you know, good friend, Ben Price or, Somebody else out there in the world is going to organize some kind of uh, 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 live Zoom meeting. I'm not going to promise that I'm pleading that you do this. (laughs) I'm not going to promise. No, like, look, Camille joined the last uh, post game Zoom meeting because he fucking crushed it, and he wanted to, he wanted to, he wanted to feel the the feathers uh, flapping on his uh, on his chins. Uh, You should you should been with strippers, dude. Why are you on a Zoom call? You just crushed. Uh, you should be you should be crushing up no, no Adderall shit. and it's the COVID, it. It's yeah. the COVID era, baby. It's the COVID. They don't era. have strippers at uh, Lermitage anymore. Oops, <laughs> um, uh, it's okay. It's French. No one understands. Um, yeah. So watch and root me on, but know that I can't ever be Camille. I can only be a non-white person, not a non-black person. It's <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I know what I'm. I like man, it. I'm super get. I'm super getting close. Yeah. And it's actually Emmanuel, uh, my darling wife, who's who leads this more than I do. Uh, when she, we get the forms for whatever, mm-hmm. and they're like asking for race, she gets so pissed off. Mm. She's like, "These Americans and these fucking race." Yeah, it's uh, true. Like, so like, yeah, she's true. getting much more, much more uh, chameleon. Well, Matt, I, uh, I just want to say that you're awful, whatever color you are. Um, <laughs> thank you it doesn't it doesn't matter i don't see you as white i just see you as a complete asshole and all i gotta say all i gotta say so like race camille went on and then they had brett and heather uh brett uh weinstein and heather hying they were actually uh, really good our, last week our friends i haven't watched but i but yeah. i understand they were pretty good no, they're really good uh, and and they were on a great uh, episode with us um, back in the day as well. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I, I recommend we need people to have listen them back. to. I really enjoy. We do, that. The, especially Heather. I mean, I like Brett, but yeah. Heather's great. No, she's um, she's the better of the two. I don't think Brett would disagree. <laughs> no, he he doesn't disagree. So, but like Camille, and then Brett and Heather, and then me, um, and then I got to tell you, like, I can't talk about the topics, but I think Bill's. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> don't there's a lot more. of things to talk about. Don't say more. Uh, there's a lot of things to talk about this week. Watch his topic selection. That might be yeah. a, a a thing to indicate about where. Don't, don't his say more. His enemies are listening yeah. to this podcast, mining yeah. it for things that they can use, and they're. I don't even want to talk about it. Scumbags. It, it, I mean, look, it's it's the guy never stopped ruthlessly, brutally, yeah, yeah. endlessly attacking Donald Trump, 
in every Republican in his orbit. But and now like, he's a monster. Yeah, like yeah. like everybody else, you know, sort of of his age, I think. He <laughs> he disassociates that from the stupid culture wars and he believes that it harms liberalism. And people believe that people say, Oh, you know, like these idiots that call themselves classical liberals and they're actually like but you know, there are a lot of liberals. There's one in particular that Matt and I have talked about, and I don't want to say his name because I want to get him on the show, who has a very famous mother, um, and has <laughs> been kind of shocking on Twitter. Like, what? God what? He's off Super the rest. lefty guy. Oh my god. <laughs> but he's of that he's probably a similar age to Bill, and nobody can question uh, his bona fides as a as a lefty, so I think there's there's something something afoot, and guys like him and guys like Bill Maher who have enough of a platform and probably a a pretty um, deep bank account can get away with it. You know, Bill Maher was, you know, on his first season of a show, even though he was you know previously famous. I don't know, I don't know, but he he can get away with well, it because yeah. he, he gets a lot of viewers and and people love the show, so. Well, Moynihan, you, you use the phrase culture war, and we opened the podcast this evening talking about mm. uh, a, a, a nigger controversy or oh God, a nigger controversy. You know. We're not sure. Yeah. We don't know which it is. I'm allowed to use the word. I'm, yeah. not, I'm an adult. You're allowed I'm not going to play it, games. But, you know. Yeah, I'm not going to play games. So I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to talk about something else because I think it's an interesting it's an interesting opportunity to underscore the way that the culture war does, in fact, have real world consequences. Mm-hmm. Because in recent days, and it is not for the first time, I've been castigated for being someone who is anti-woke, mm-hmm. who is sort of vehemently, publicly anti-woke, strenuously anti-woke in ways that are unreasonable and disproportionate. And I have not shown sufficient concern about MAGA or GOP or right-wing excesses, mm. whatever. Perhaps I haven't. I don't want to get into that. I just want to focus for a moment on this particular controversy. I now live in California, as I've talked about. I live someplace near San Francisco. If I looked out my window right now, I would see the city over the water. You would so if see I just a homeless person a little bit, vomiting. <laughs> well, no, I'm not that close. Uh, but but if I lived a little bit a little bit further southwest, I would be able to. I would I would be in San Francisco, and my child would be a ward of the San Francisco public school system. Not that I would necessarily let her go to one of these schools, but there it is. And just yesterday, I stumbled across a video of Commissioner Allison Collins. Mm. And in this video, Miss Collins was explaining why merit is racist. Why (laughs) it is racist to believe. (laughs) No, no. Merit. This, 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 process of someone actually earning their place in an institution, say an academic institution, and perhaps earning it by way of, I don't know, a standardized test, a standardized test, something that is developed in order to give people an opportunity to demonstrate their quality so that they can earn access to some school. And in this particular case, we're talking about these selective public schools in New York City. We've talked about this in the past. There are these like three particularly prestigious schools that have minted a bunch of like Nobel laureates, like astonishing, um, which actually have a pretty astonishing track record in that respect. And which also tend to serve low income 
predominantly minority student bases. I don't know that either one of those two things matter nearly as much as the fact that there is a particular kind of student who goes to public school systems who needs special things. And they're like exceptional kids who are particularly brilliant. And in much the same way that we have schools and classrooms that are devoted to the unique needs of kids who have special needs, we have schools and classrooms that are devoted to the unique needs of kids who have special needs who, because they're so exceptional and because they could go on to do remarkable things. And if our schools aren't built to maximize the full potential of every student, wherever they may be, then I don't know what the fuck they're for. And when I saw this video, I have to admit that I was completely outraged, flabbergasted. You don't get flabbergasted much. Miss Collins, not often, <laughs> not often, because we, we just have so much bullshit because yeah. the culture war is thick and it is thick with foolishness on all sides. But here, this has material consequences because this woman, again, is the commissioner of schools in San Francisco. And her position is that we should be dismantling not the underperforming schools, not the majority of schools, which tend to to completely underserve the students that go to these classrooms, um, that, that go to these classes, or at least used to before they decided to shutter them all. Um, but the best performing schools, the ones that are actually managing to kind of give kids good results, we'll just mm. spend all of our time and attention tweaking those things and screwing with the admissions policies because it is impossible for students who are not white, and is, that is ostensibly what's being said here, to compete and make it into these schools and have a genuine opportunity at success. It's They're, unfair. She's not saying Systems that Systems of merit are racist, is what she said. And it's your, you're correct, one hand. She's not saying not white because the majority of the kids too. who go to this school <laughs> yeah. are Asian. Yes. And the, the actual... Who are in this case If we're to, to reduce this, it's to say that... White adjacent, these kids, come on. These kids, there are too many Asian kids in these schools and yeah. not enough black kids. That is effectively what's being said here. So we'll just re rejigger the admissions to help these kids. And the, and the, the sort of final thing I'll say about this before I, I open it up here is the, the notion that what should be done because black students aren't doing nearly as well as one believes they ought to. And I would say that they ought to. I think that's fair for a number of complicated reasons. They're not doing as well as they ought to. They're not doing as well relative to their share of the population, et cetera, et cetera, in these schools. That the thing that we ought to do is because they're not meeting the standard, eliminate the standard, flatten the standard, mm. rip it out completely. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. It's totally like, who insane. Who wants that? Well, the, who the, wants that for your medical doctor? Like, we'll eliminate the standard because it's not fair. There aren't enough black doctors or Asian doctors or whatever. We'll eliminate the standard so that you get a new kind of doctor. Yeah. One that, you know, it's just, it's more fair. It's more equitable this way. We'll eliminate the standard for your mechanic. <laughs> yeah, you we'll eliminate the standard for your contractor, for your home. It's insane. If we need additional remediation, focus on that. Add that into the system. Figure out a way to do it. If you want to have more of these competitive schools, model a new school after this top performing school. But instead, the great city of San Francisco, which is embarked on a precipitous decline, apparently to see how quickly they can drive away every fucking citizen who hasn't had the good sense to leave already because of the rising crime and violence and the declining revenues, which are going to decimate city services, has spent the last year and a half going after their best performing school mm. and deconstructing it 
and getting bogged down in a controversy to rename schools because Abraham Lincoln is a racist. <laughs> it's completely that's insane the, that's and the obscene. Twin. These people are unserious. And it's one thing if they're not in control of anything. The fact that they actually run the school system in San Francisco is reason enough for concern. Kids, lives, and well-being is at stake. And if, I don't give a shit what they look like. If the kid, if, the, if there were Full not stop. kids' li- lives at stake and their education at stake, I would just say I love it. I truly love it. <laughs> I love watching things fail. I love watching you know insane utopian ideas blow up, and it's going to blow up. And you know th- this is the, the the twin attack here is that we're going to get rid of tests, maybe discriminate against Asian people, and and you know call President. Taft a Klansman or something. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, like, look, you go to San Francisco and I've been to San Francisco a lot in the past, past, you know, four or five years. And it's like, are you guys like doing a simulation of World War II? And like, you're standing in for Dresden or something like you, it's just like a fucking bombed out nightmare when you go down like Market Street in certain places that are, you know, the Tenderloin. It's like, how... Did you not? How did you? How did you never um, get a bunch of rich people from Facebook to buy these buildings? It's like no, they're very, very serious homeless people here. They really like their heroin. There's just nothing we can do about it. But no, this this whole thing. And and, and keep in mind that we're in a, a moment now. And there's another bit of associated news today that is related to this. Is that the, the Department of Justice, Biden's Department of Justice, mm. withdrew the lawsuit against Yale. And the lawsuit against Yale was basically the thrust of it was that it was discriminating against Asian people. And we have, you know, the same thing, the Harvard thing. You remember the the personality tests it, that it was just like weirdly designed to like make sure that, you know, Chinese people and Korean people and Japanese people, et cetera, whoever it was, would perform poorly on it so they could bring them down in the rankings. They're engineering ways to discriminate against people because of where their parents are from. And the interesting thing about it is, particularly in the New York school system, where they're, of course, doing the same thing at some of these exclusive and elite schools, it's actually more impressive than anyone knows. Because the, the impression that people have is that, you know, your father was an Asian professor at MIT. No, no, no. Your father was like literally stacking boxes at the bodega at four in the morning that he owns and you live in Queens and Mm. your kids are doing amazingly well. So that's doubly offensive to people because they hate that you're saying like, look at these immigrants who barely speak the language, are not white until they are white. You decide that they're white. You're going to classify them as white when, when they're doing well in school. But otherwise you say, I'm a person of color until it comes time to get into Stuyvesant, you're no longer a person of color. But that is an offensive thing. And that's a dangerous thing, that these are people that are in bad economic circumstances that are alien to the culture and their kids are crushing it. The kids are crushing it at at school after school in elite schools in New York City and other places in the country. This is a cultural thing. It's not, that's it, period. It's a cultural thing, end of story. Their brains aren't wired any better than anybody else's. This is true of everybody. But it's a cultural thing. It's pretty straightforward. But what have they busied themselves with? Are they fixing the schools? Are they going into the curriculum? Like, if they did, would you want them to? Do you want to see what they'd come out with? I mean, it's insane. I mean, this is how crazy San Francisco has gone. 
There's an, a related story, and then I want to pass it over to Matt, who knows more about education than any of us combined. There was a story that I made fun of on Twitter, and I'm sure a lot of other people did too, written by a teacher in San Francisco. And it was published in the San Francisco Chronicle about Bernie Sanders and about the meme of Bernie Sanders on Inauguration Day. If you didn't see this piece, I recommend it. <laughs> and the piece basically says um, that it is white privilege to have mittens because he, he was cold and he was wearing a jacket and he was like, you know, those, those, kind, those of kind of mittens. And the funny thing about it was that she was so dumb that she was like, my students didn't get this. And I had to keep explaining to them. It's like, no, they know you're crazy. But the thing about it is that <laughs> that city is so far gone that it's not that people think these things. Because there are people that are wind-up toys these days that say, you know, the guy just dropped a, you know, a, a, a gum wrapper on the ground. Look at the white supremacy. Look at the privilege and blah, blah, blah. They just plug it into anything. It's almost meaningless at this point. The thing that's interesting to me about San Francisco these days is that there's only one paper left. There used to be the Examiner and the Chronicle. The Chronicle's left. And they're wasting column inches publishing this and not laughing it out of the building. The entire city has gone fucking mad from the, from the newspaper down. There's no you know, universe in no publication. Pravda wouldn't publish that. Izvestia wouldn't publish that. Grandma in Cuba wouldn't publish that. But there's some no world that exists that somebody reads, reads that and it's like, you know, I get that. That's good. That's good. And if you're, that's not even a hate click thing. That's just like a, a derangement. But that is what it's become. And that, that woman was a teacher and she was talking about how she was trying to convince her students in San Francisco that Bernie Sanders had white supremacist mittens <laughs> or something. <laughs> so anyway, Matt. I would point out that uh, a mm. half a dozen at least school districts or the teachers unions in the school district, and it's probably closer to many score, not uh, just a half a dozen, but just when I was paying attention to this a few days ago, um, in coming up with their argumentation for why um, – the United States or, you know, effectively the United States needs to be last in line in opening up public schools, K through 12. But in their particular case, it'll be just the local place. Um, it's because the people who want to reopen are exhibiting their white supremacy, their sexism, uh, their racism, uh, etc. This is true in Pasco, Washington, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Michael will be happy to know. Um, uh, I believe in Seattle, uh, Chicago is the biggest one, the Chicago's Teachers Union. But like this is written into written into the justification for teachers not showing up to work, which is causing disproportionate pain in staggering amounts to specifically disadvantaged children, which in America tend to be minority populations. Um, it's amazing to me. And also, I should also say, because they do mention sexism as part of it. Like this isn't a people want to reopen. They're really guilty of sexism. The recession, um, if you just measure it, if, if you just measure the dudes, there is no recession in this country. It's a female recession. Why is it a female recession? Because sadly, whatever, you know, or as a normal expression of something, what, however it lays Women take care of the kids more than the dudes do. And when the schools collapse, which they have done for now almost, you know, 11 months, 
Um, it's the women who are left holding the bag. In my, in my family, my wife works less because, you know, <laughs> we had a bunch of, we had a, a pod at our house today and we were homeschooled yesterday, the day before, whatever. Um, so uh, that rhetoric is not just inaccurate, but it's also used as a deflection in a way to justify policies that actually hurt people on the metrics that they fucking introduced and can't stop bugging you about. It's Black Lives Matter week uh, for my five-year-old. <laughs> or she, she's now six years six years old. Um, but for both of my kids, it's fine. It's, it's not, not fine, fine but whatever. Me. I think it, it's, it's not fine to you. Absolute brain poison. I, um, but like every single Camille day, pulling punches as usual. It's brain poison. <laughs> but I, every day, like my my uh, my twelve year old, who has been set foot in her school seven times since the middle of last March, um, uh, the amount of communications that we had since the the January sixth, you know, the nine eleven, December seventh that we all experienced on January sixth has received so much messaging about how this is a, an artifact of white supremacy and whatever. And it's like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. When are you going to open again? Yeah. <laughs> you, have, yeah. you haven't been open since November. It, it might not be, be a good thing, actually. It might not be good for them to open now. I, I would probably no, prefer it, that the whole school system implode so we can start does again. anyone else in your I class public education? Murray Rothtard, but like, uh, but <laughs> but kids being around other kids is good. But does anyone I, I else defund in your... public education. We could take all of that money. I, we'll I, give it to new people <laughs> who will do new things. They'll come to your home just directly. Follow Follow, follow Cordy Angelus on Twitter. Yeah. He'll, he'll 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 go for it. Uh, uh, no, it's it's very frustrating and it's constant. And and um, uh, we were talking about this just tonight over over dinner. Like the the number of parents in my ninety percent at least voting for the Democrat uh, uh, neighborhood who are like because it's every day, like three to four messages a day from my kids to schools that have something to do with Black Lives Matter right now, this week. Um, and like in most weeks, too. Is that, by like, the way, is that is that part of a like homeschooling pod curriculum? Or no, is that just no, them no, no, telling that's just you from the school. No, parents. the pod is us. The pod is, is the pod. Why are they sending uh, these things? A, a way to manage remote learning. No, it's remote learning. Um, and it's also the, just the normal communications from the schools. But, but is that um, is that part of like this is what you teach, teach your kids, or is that the, just updating the, you on their stupid political opinions? Both. Oh um, it's like uh, sometimes sometimes it's a message from the the district, you know, saying in these hard times we all understand that it's very difficult, um, and it just reminds us once again that this country is rooted in white supremacist values and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's like that's what we get constantly, and. Um, I have, uh, I, again, I was just talking about this tonight. Like I was, uh, uh, you know, uh, there was a piece in the New York Post two days ago from like a, a, an anonymous parent, like a, a, a dad from Manhattan uh, District 2, which is the toniest of all the school districts. And he was just sort of bitching about the BLM stuff. And he was probably going about uh, uh, 10 degrees further than I would go uh, and then less than what Camille would go. Um, and, uh, and like, I could write that every day and I somehow choose not to partly, um, because there's other stuff to talk about that are, is of greater import, but partly cause I don't want the hassle as soon as I, as soon as I get out there and this is, and it's not about me, it's about the other parents who are not public figures in any way and don't want to stick their necks out. Like wow. there's Humble so brag. much, 
No, 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 it's not. <laughs> you kidding. know, it's not. There's so much, and this is why I actually have a passion for for writing about this. Um, there is so much normie uh, objection to this, even in a deep blue state, city, district, whatever. Um, but that is also terrified. They don't want to be brave and call bullshit on what they see every day as being a ridiculous exaggeration of stuff. Um, that happens constantly, and it's happening in a context of schools that just the, aren't open. The, the bad result of that is that the people who say those things and write those emails, and I see them in lots of contexts, believe it's normal because nobody pushes back. There's no other side to the issue. When they yeah. hear another side of the issue, they think – like what the Soviets would do with like Vladimir Bukovsky, they put him like in a mental institution. They're like, how could you possibly believe this? It's so crazy. I want to add one thing before we, before we jump, because it's actually super important. Mm. A, a letter just went out. It just popped up for me. And letter just went out from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's office on her letterhead. Oh, no. um, it's quite long. Um, and I'm not going to read it to you. Uh, I read one sentence. The letter is asking people who are on her mailing list and who are donors or fans of AOC to go to Twitter and Facebook and flag posts to be removed that say that she was, um, you know, Jussie Smollett of, of this, of this uh, January 6th. And to the point that I made, and, and I was prescient huh. in the sense that it happened 15 minutes after I said it. Um, the point huh. that I made about the way they believe words work. And, and these are just like people like making a joke that said like, you weren't in the Capitol. You were given the impression you're in the Capitol. End of story, right? This is what, what she says after saying, after giving instructions on how to flag posts so they'll be removed. The sad thing is that a lot of damage has already been done. People have already been misled and radicalized. They believe the lies to huh? a point where their hatred could someday boil into violence. Huh. Boil over into violence. So the the the, the trending Justice because Millette they're making thing memes is because making memes about this is that she is you know trying to get her army riled up to get these things taken down, get them taken offline. The commissar the commissar vanishes, and because and the the reason for this because otherwise you seem like a speech hating scold. Is that actually I'm just preventing violence? That's what I'm doing because that's why the people were there trying to kill me. Uh, the other day, this is actually crazy to say to your get this stuff flagged, taken offline because it's not true. She doesn't say which posts, by the way. She's like the radical right influencers or whatever she says. Um, it's this weird language. It doesn't say what posts, doesn't say what is true and what is not true. But just go out there and what you're obviously being directed to do is the stuff about this topic that is mean to her. Go out in mass and flag it and get it taken down. That's kind of mm. kind of crazy, right? Wow. Yeah. Really. Yeah. So that's just a nice well, button on that previous conversation. Yeah. 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 Right wing operatives, she calls them, with millions of followers. Yeah. I mean, that's well to, crazy. To, to 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 close out the education conversation. I mean, I I, I am God, I'm it. very frustrated by you know, the perpetual fetishization of racial disparities in a universe of different contexts, certainly with respect to education and all sorts of other things. Um, I, I understand why people feel the need to contextualize certain issues with respect to race. I get why people 
highlight the fact that, you know, black and Latino kids are, you know, disproportionately injured in one context or another. But, you know, these, these are just kids who are being injured. They're kids who are, are not being underserved, who are being discounted in a, a racially, in a racially essentialist way by, you know, the chancellor of the school system who says, you know, it, and would be saying about my daughter if I lived a bit further and she was one of her charges that she's just not good enough on account of her blackness to actually be successful here. We just simply can't have confidence. Um, and I, I used a phrase uh, when I posted about this on Twitter that this, you know, the, the it was George W. Bush who had that phrase about the soft bigotry of low expectations. And I, I really think that this is materially worse than that because there are all of these ostensibly well-intentioned people. And actually, I believe most of them are well-intentioned, engaged in what is, in effect, a genuine conspiracy in the sense that it's coordinated effort. This is a, a broad, national, maybe even global campaign to modify these institutions, to focus them not on quality of service in terms of an excellent product, but on equity, on making certain that they're hitting certain benchmarks for a particular sort of racial performance. That's the principal goal here. And it is a disservice to these students in so many different ways, a disservice to students who, you know, these, these standardized tests in many instances were introduced for the very purpose of allowing kids from, dis, from, uh, from not privileged backgrounds to be able to have a level playing field on which to compete based on their willingness to work hard. And in places like New York City, low-income kids from, you know, again, not privileged backgrounds have been able to, to find ways into some of the best schools on the planet and have seen success in their adult lives, much to the benefit of all of the rest of us. And I don't know why you would want to dismantle something that works that well, that is perhaps amongst the best examples of what we can do in this country to allow people to migrate here from other parts of the world without much, without any sort of advantages that anyone would generally uh, uh, pay attention to and give them an opportunity to work hard, to spend extra hours going to extra schools to prep for tests that they know are coming and to, to have a shot at the American dream. It's just, it's monstrous. And I think that the, the blow to the confidence of students um, by, that, that, is necessarily associated with this perpetual campaign to tell them that they are victims, that they can't compete, that they just can't do it. I think there's something wrong with that. And, you know, there's, there's a conversation to be had about whether or not standardized testing is the best way to do some of this stuff and a conversation to be had about, you know, public schools generally and their role in society. But I'll save that for another day. Um, we we should probably punch out of here, but I know we talked. We haven't talked about the Cuomo thing on the wider podcast. We did talk about it briefly on the the most recent Patreon. So if you're not a patron, what's wrong with you? Would you just be a patron you. and go listen to that? Um, but Get today, gentlemen, I don't know if you saw that there was a, a ruling in a New York Supreme in the New York Supreme Court that came out of Albany there um, that suggested that the health department had illegally withheld COVID nursing home death, death toll data. So that's scandal uh, involving Governor Cuomo, um, who'd been celebrated 
and lauded by members of the national media as a truth teller, a brave truth teller who deserved to be celebrated for, for, for going on television and, you know, just boldly and and, in sharp contrast with Donald Trump, breaking it down for the citizens of the great state of New York, seeing them through a difficult period, a man who made time during the, the pandemic to write and record the narration for the audio for his audiobook uh, about how he you're beat so Camp offended by that. COVID. It's Subscribe to the Patreon because Camille's like, he, he's doing the audiobook. I can't believe he's doing the audiobook. I don't know why I see you sound like Regis Philbin all of a sudden. He's doing the audiobook. I don't understand. It's he's detestable. doing the audiobook. It's detestable. You were and, very. And, and we've only just discovered. Well, because that your theory. The nursing home numbers are like 50% higher than we already thought they were. Which and it's, he and it then blames immediately be, on Donald Trump and the people who stormed the Despite Capitol the fact that it appears to be a, a function of his policy that has been widely criticized. But but here again, we have the, the, white supremacy? the incuriousness. <laughs> <laughs> here again, we have the incuriousness of the national media who, rather than asking like strenuous questions about this in many instances, as some members of the, the local media in New York were doing mm-hmm. all along the way. Yes. And as Cuomo would routinely, sharply, nastily respond to these oh, folks God, yeah, yeah, with yeah. a bunch of uh, conflicting responses, as we now know. Uh, thank you, CNN, for finally doing your job there. Um, like, it's just, it's shameful. It's fucking shameful. He is a disgrace. So more, more, more will come of this. Uh, and I hope that people will heap scorn and shame on him and uh, he'll be punished and sent into the political wilderness. Well, you should hopes subscribe to one day Patreon. being president will be dashed. Because you went off ever. on it uh, just, uh, just a couple days ago and that episode is quite good. So I think you should uh, And here's also an advertisement, not just for us, but for um, – not necessarily always taking the worldview of the anti-Michelle Bachman, you know, New York Times uh, uh, kind of journalistic institutions, which is this. Um, those people, um, and I think I would like to include us among ourselves in this, were saying since July of last year a couple of things. One of them is that schools are safe. You should open them. Another is that Cuomo is a dick and you should stop lauding him. Mm -hmm. Um, The New York system is not the story is not great. Um, And uh, it's a lot of, we told you so's there. Um, It's not necessarily that we're always going to be right or that the people in our universe, Carol Markowitz uh, comes to (laughs) mind is going to be right about this stuff. Although she was totally damn right. Um, but that it's uh, it's an invitation to mix up your media diet if we are the outlier in it, because this stuff has been so widely available for a really long time now that it's really, really frustrating. At the, the, you know, the Reuters had a huge thing came out about 10 days ago saying, well, actually, you know, the Centers for Disease Control haven't really done a great job. It really wasn't always Trump. Sometimes it was the bureaucracy. Like acting all surprised on January 23rd that there were bureaucratic problems, uh, including slow FDA approvals of various things like home testing. No, dudes, we've been talking about this the entire time 
on this podcast and elsewhere in the overall sort of milieu and universe, if your media diet has not included people making those points since July, go take a good look at your media diet and maybe mix it up a little bit. Word. Mixed up. All right. Well, should we wrap this up? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Well, congrats to Jeff Bezos. Looks like he's moving on to a new gig. And uh, we're delighted to have you as a patron, Mr. Bezos. He's uh, moving on up. We'll be getting your million dollars a month from here on out. Yeah. The uh, never fly, pri- never fly anything but private space shuttle tier <laughs> to is now moon. open for business. Never you can fly join anything too. with SpaceX. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's no Blue Origin. Fun. Blue Origin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on, yeah. Ooh, ooh. We got to get it right. Yeah. Edit that out. Edit that out. <laughs> we, we need that money. Yeah, I need that money. We need that Bezos All right. money. All right. <laughs> Bye. 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 We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.